Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, your daily dose of Talmud. Today's pages launch us into a long and intricate contemplation about, could it be any different? Food. It starts off innocent enough with the following question. How does one recite a blessing over fruit? But this being the Talmud, you know that the answer is anything but simple. Why, the rabbis ask in one fine example of their methodical thinking, do grapes receive their own blessing? Is it because when you squeeze them, you can make wine? But you could squeeze olive oil out of olives as well, and olives aren't blessed with a dedicated blessing. So what makes wine so special and important? Like all good Talmudic arguments, this one, too, is not conclusive, but rather an invitation to thought. As we'll see in the coming days on this podcast, the rabbis wanted us to take very good care and think very closely about what we eat. Which reminded me of one recollection I've had when, a few years ago, I decided to start keeping kosher. I published it in Tablet Magazine at the time, but I thought about it reading today's pages, and I really would like to share it with you now as a meditation on what we eat and why. For anyone contemplating the laws of kashrut, the decision is inevitably reduced to a crude culinary arithmetic. Consider parting with treif, and soon enough, you'll find yourself mentally dividing everything edible into three groups. In the first, entitled Foods I'm Not Likely to Miss, I put shrimp cocktails and fried calamari and ham sandwiches, all of which I've always kind of enjoyed, but none of which I realized I would really ever miss if I resolved to no longer be a few cheeseburgers removed from the faith of my fathers. Speaking of cheeseburgers, I put those in group number two, called foods I'm somewhat likely to miss, together with the oysters I enjoyed slurping with my dry martinis, and the lobster I loved drowning in butter on breezy summer evenings with my family on Cape Cod. But group number three, reserved for food I could absolutely not imagine living without, contained one single entry. Bacon. It was, after all, my original sin, the instrument of my fall from grace. I had spent the first decade and a half of my life blissfully unaware of its scent or its taste, raised in a kosher home in Israel where a good cholent was the peak of fleshy goodness. And then, one day, slogging through puberty, I slouched into a friend's home and smelled something transcendent. I understood with that one whiff what it must have been like to stand in the ancient temple and take in the smoke rising from the burnt offering on the altar, every breath making clearer the spiritual affinities between meat and the divine. I asked my friend's mother what she was making, and she replied it was bacon. She might as well have said kryptonite. Bacon was a substance I never imagined actually existed on the same planet I myself inhabited. She asked me if I wanted a strip. Without thinking, I said I did. Listener, I loved it. The appeal was more than gustatory. It was emotional. Eating bacon was like taking communion in a religion of my choosing— Casting off the yoke of tradition my parents placed on my back without comprehension or consent, 
I still believed in God. I still felt deeply Jewish. I was still very proud of my heritage, but with every crispy, fatty bite, I felt I was forging my own path forward, a path that didn't require me to forgo life's pleasures, to pledge my allegiance to my people and my faith. I delivered a version of the sermon often, frequently over breakfast buffets where bacon took its rightful place beside the potatoes and next to the eggs. The days of burnt offerings, I thundered with my mouthful, were long gone. God surely would never have created such splendors only to prohibit us from ever enjoying them. Each bite I took was a theological tractate because bacon, unlike all other forbidden food, wasn't just a prohibited treat. It was a synecdoche for all of trafedom, a metaphor for the prickly and the trying relationship between God and his chosen people. I enjoyed it deliberately, mindfully. It was, I believe, the instrument of my liberation. When I got older, when the wisdom of old ideas shone brightly, when kashrut beckoned, I hesitated for a long time, mainly because of bacon. Giving it up felt like surrender. I was never, I realized, going to rationalize my way into submission. If I was going to return to the purities of my youth, I had to just plunge in and do it. At first, every meal was a small heartbreak, defined by the meat that wasn't there. Was this burger really good without a strip or two on top? Was that salad really healthy without the gift of crumbled goodness? And most importantly, was my spirit growing even as my waist trimmed down? I got my answer one balmy afternoon, as we New Yorkers often do, on the street. I was hurrying somewhere when I passed an outdoor cafe where a young woman had just received her order, a BLT, the very spiritual balm I had ordered on so many drunken nights. I slowed down, allowing the familiar smell to settle in my nostrils. I expected to feel jittery, angry, distressed. Instead, I felt what might have been the greatest calm of my life. It wasn't the calm of comprehension. I still can't fully articulate why I decided to once again keep kosher. It was the calm of mastery and of mystery, of knowing that my soul, responding to strange signals from the primordial past, was being called upon to do something it doesn't yet understand, but it can still even as it obeys higher powers, command the gullet to do its bidding. By not eating bacon, in other words, I felt at the same time completely in charge and not at all in charge, which is about as good a description of life as you're likely to find. It's been several swineless years now, and I miss bacon less and less every day. Meat is great, but meaning is better. So Shabbat Shalom to all, and I hope you've made your day and your week a little bit more Talmudic. And if you haven't listened to past episodes of the show, check them out. You don't have to start from the very beginning to enjoy just a little bit of the wisdom of our ancient rabbis. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Magazine. If you enjoyed this show, please go rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly section of reading Daf Yomi. 
I'm your host, Leah Leibowitz. Our producer is Josh Cross. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash take one or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope you've made your day a little bit more Talmudic and we'll see you again soon.